0: you're listening to the unsung podcast where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics and then you guys tell us if we're right or wrong this is the unsung podcast
1: that two weeks in a row man. <laughs> I think we just did. Mm. <laughs> How are you today Chris? Well after like 70 odd episodes you're bound to repeat something <laughs> even if it's Dave's weird hello. Are we only on 70? <laughs> oh yeah I
2: suppose we are yeah. It's a
0: 73. Right about a 72? 73. 72? Something like that. <laughs> I'm well thanks Mark. Good. I'm glad to hear <laughs> How it. How are you? I'm
1: fine. You notice I'm dressed like a geography teacher.
2: Yeah, but, I like it. You've buttoned up your shirt. Rare. Man. Are
1: Dude, you a geography teacher? It's one of the, the most stingingest burns that I ever got. was at work one day when I was wearing a red pullover and somebody said Chris, why do you dress like a geography teacher? <laughs> and I was like, shut up. And then I went and looked to myself. <laughs> I was like, I fucking do. Yeah. Oh man. Um, you are then, a man who's about to reach the prime of life, so you need to dress for Yeah, it. you pull it and off, it's, it's fine. Patronise me. It was actually because I made a Tomatoe pasta and I had a very pale shirt on I was like I'm going to pull on any shit so I don't ruin this because I keep doing that mm-hmm. I keep saying it'll be fine it'll be fine and then he, it's it invariably f- is not and fine you fuck it yeah so that's why I'm wearing this how are you David yeah David how are you oh I'm fine I'm just recovering
2: I, I went to the Isle of Egg uh, watched some bands DJed for 12 hours <laughs> Madison and all in I think I had 6 hours sleep in 4 days so uh, feeling a little bit fragile today, but I'm
1: feeling positive as that, well. That's twice in a row you've been sort slightly hungover. Uh huh. F- in the first time in yeah, eighteen I know, months.
2: I've not been really drinking for yeah. about a year and a half.
1: But can I ask, uh, Dave's back on it? <laughs> <laughs> Look at world. Can I ask, uh, I love Egg? Does that explain the custardy tone of your socks? It does. Yeah, <laughs> I love egg. Truly. Um, we. It's a bit egg. like that dress thing You know It's like what colour are Dave's socks And mm-hmm. I thought mustard But I do agree that custard is probably closer
2: Yeah Yeah it's, There's um,
1: there's a bit of depth in there It's not just a flat yellow There's a warmth mm-hmm. to it yeah. um, And
0: only slightly warmer than your phone uh, case Yeah I was going to say It's quite similar in, in, in hue to your Do you phone guys case? not
2: match your phone case to your socks? No
0: Not uh, regularly no Are
2: you wearing a wife no. beater as well? No It's, it's a t-shirt <laughs> Right okay <laughs>
1: You, you, I mean you would pull off a wife bearer. Thanks I mean I I think you have, I have about 14 in my in
2: my, uh, in my drawers But it's fine Is it wrong to refer to them as wife beers? I think possibly it <laughs> might be a little bit Unwoke now
1: Yeah I don't know So we're going to have loads of people from trailer parks Phoning up to complain mm-hmm. About us painting with broad strokes <laughs>
0: <laughs> No we
2: should We should introduce the podcast shouldn't Yeah
0: we? Yeah we've already introduced each other Yeah of, that's so. fine Yeah this week, we're doing a uh, film soundtrack for films that flopped at the box office. Let's remind David of that because he spent all week under the was, illusion that I was
2: the first one to fucking choose an album, and then we built the podcast around you it. You chose then, it. I know, and then I was told that I couldn't do it. <laughs>
1: Uh, David, we 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 tweet. I, I specifically remember us tweaking the remit t- to make sure you could still do spawn, yeah. and it wasn't until me and Mark looked it up while you we were on egg DJing for half a day. Uh, we didn't like, oh, spawn? Made a lot of money. <laughs> that doesn't count. I mean, it. I think it's it, dire. I agree. It's dire. It's very bad. But and we I don't didn't- think it will
2: have made a profit overall. It made fifty million dollars. Yeah, I know, but we talk about so you know. I mean, yeah, we're getting into films here. Yeah, but yeah. in terms of Hollywood economics, it was on a forty-five million production budget, uh-huh. and then it made eighty odd million box office. I think. Yeah. Um, so overall, it wouldn't have made a huge amount of money because you're supposed to double production budget for marketing budget on average. And um, but then of course box offices and everything because then you. Taking film uh you taken like yeah dvd rentals and, and, and things like soundtrack that soundtrack but well. um i don't think it was seen as a critical or commercial success
1: i mean I would, but yeah, uh, either not. way i kind I th- of I think metric- and
2: i went for something else and I, i'm pretty
1: happy with my selection yeah our metric is basically the numbers on the box office versus uh production that's all we've got to go on yeah so what films
2: this? did shite in the cinema, and then? have actually got really good soundtracks.
1: So you yeah. swung from uh, spawn to something very similar. <laughs> very you
2: know, you know, same sort of crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you go for I went for uh, under the skin Starring Scarlett Johansson. Mark's uh,
1: initial response in the group app, uh, Pooh Boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, cheery. so Jonathan Glazer's 2014 thing, starring
2: Scarlett Johansson. Uh, and the soundtrack was done by uh, Mika Levy, aka mm-hmm. Mika Chu. Okay. Mark, what did you go for?
0: I went for, I totally bent the rules here, but it totally qualifies. I went for Parade by Princeton Revolution which is the soundtrack to Under the Cherry Moon, which is a a film truly, by Prince Truly awful film by Prince yeah. like, <laughs> Legendarily bad
1: Motherfucker
0: could do lots of good things man But this motherfucker could not act <laughs> Or direct Bless him for
2: trying, though. Well, wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, Now you've seen Purple Rain. Yeah, but he's not a good actor. He is really average as Prince. (laughs) Somehow, a a character completely based on him, he's alright at it. (laughs) That's
1: sometimes how I feel as well. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, some, you you sometimes
1: pull off Chris Cusack and then sometimes I'm like, oh, "Hey, come on, this, this is <laughs> a family show." <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, I went with my original choice, which kind of was set up to play into your choice mm-hmm. because it's actually the soundtrack was kind of overseen by the same guy. It turns out, but uh, I went for Judgment Night. Miss- The 1993 uh, movie with Emilio Estevez, Stephen Dorff, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jeremy Piven, Dennis Leary, and I believe Everlast, uh, and he's one and maybe only acting role, which lost uh, $9 million at the box office. It was $21 million production budget. I think it lost about 45% of its cost um, yeah. and was seen as a bit a failure. Um, I disagree that it's a
2: bad movie. Really? I haven't seen it. Uh, I've watched I, the trailer and I watched some clips
1: and it looked a bit brown. Uh, so it's a 35% on un- rotten, to- un- rotten Tomatoes, yeah. right? which you're like, oh, okay. It's 6.6 on 6 IMDb, which I think tends to be closer. And then <sighs> well, there's a site called CinemaScore, which is based on audience reviews. And I, I think that IMDb is pretty much 19-year-old white
2: boys. Oh, it. IMDb, I it think has more or less. Like yeah. that you look, but like it, you but look it, at the top 100... And like Inception is in the top 20 and the Dark Knight Rises and, the, you know, the whole Batman trilogy are all in like the top 50. They're great popcorn films, but there's no fucking way they're like three of the best films ever made. Are I get they?
1: what you're saying, but I think it's less prone than Rotten Tomatoes to absurd scores, like to like ridiculously high or ridiculously low scores. Like yeah, rt's got a terrible reputation for it being gamed by by studios yeah that's true so anyway cinema score is one that i kind of rate because it, it's rated by people instead of by critics critics and uh they do like a kind of high school grading like a to f minus and it goes it gets a b on that mm-hmm. i would say it's like yeah it's like a low b so is what it, did
2: it, it get on imdb
1: uh, imdb got 6.6 out of 10 it got more than under the skin got On IMDb. (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) Which is mad. But I'm not surprised about that, man, because I love Under the Skin. It's amazing, but it's incredibly challenging. Because critics
2: fucking absolutely loved Under the Skin and they got like best film of the year in a few different
1: ways, but... The amount of people that walked out of the cinema when that film was on was outrageous because it is so... Polarizing, it's really well, it's like a drone album, you yeah. don't a film, mm-hmm. so I, I can kind of understand that score when you consider that it's an average, you know, and you're dealing with all kinds of monsters. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that so we agree that Marx is the only bad film out of the bunch. I will yeah. accept that Judgment Night is a very flawed film, but i actually, think it's pretty good, yeah. And Under the Skin is a masterpiece, but even the
2: largest Prince fan would not ever ever defend (laughs) under the chairman (laughs) although it's
1: impossible (laughs) basically like the majority of my research into Mark's choice was watching Prince fansites review the film and the album and some of them Mm. give it a damn good go at trying to my god (laughs) um, so there was some pretty entertaining stuff on that actually Uh, who'd have thought there were well I suppose you would have thought but I didn't think there were so many dedicated Prince YouTube channels.
0: Yeah, there's. I mean, there's <laughs> so many, and I, I think there probably will be an influx of podcasts as well now because he's dead. Um, Is he? I, I heard that. I heard that. I mean, this 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 film. He tried very hard to kill his film career. With this movie <laughs> didn't completely succeed. Um, I did make ten million on a twenty million budget, and it was critically eviscerated. <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so as <laughs> a, a, a dreadful dreadful film um, how he did was, he spend 20 million on that film? because it was shot in the French Riviera yeah I suppose yeah it was shot on location and then which wouldn't have been cheap and then yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing like I'm pretty sure there's probably some money from that as being went into the recording budget as well getting Claire Fisher in you know that you know, very noted siphoned like
2: yeah, yeah expenses. Well, your you know your soundtrack uh, recording comes under the general film budget, so yeah. If you're recording an album, you might as well. well although it would be interesting to see how that worked, because he'd obviously had Pays he'd obviously part. have an album deal as well
1: yeah and that's also an astronomical yeah. amount for an album yeah I
2: know. <laughs>
1: especially if you're you're doing your own yeah, production even, a, even stuff. a
0: million of that 20 <laughs> is like quite a lot so I don't I mean I think probably some of the budget would have been getting Claire Fisher in to do some of the scoring on it he had Paisley Park at this point so he was probably not getting paid a lot of money or been given a lot of money mate, because, because he had all the shit he owned all the shit do you know what I mean yeah but likewise it shouldn't cost him that much yeah it probably, it, probably it? didn't I think it probably was just mostly being on location you know, and also if I had a director, have like a third of the way through. Yeah, there also himself, must have been so. a
2: huge amount of cocaine taken. Like, just like <laughs> yeah. daily cocaine rider would have been massive. Yeah. It's also marked that would actually, you know, the production company would have to pay for that mm. out of cash somehow.
1: Yeah, <laughs> probably a lot of receipts made out for croissants. Yeah, <laughs> um, this was this marked his period as well, moving from like frilly blouses to slick back in suits, didn't it? Yeah.
0: Um. So maybe he had to invest in a whole new wardrobe. And it's probably a big wardrobe. He did Correct. not. He did not invest in a wardrobe. He invested in a tailor who made his clothes for his wardrobe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> didn't, mean didn't mean he invested
0: in an actual cupboard, Mark.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Down at MFI, uh, it's MFI has to be a mig, big, big motherfucker. I think we just say it, IKEA now, where people don't get it. I <laughs> think he invested in a factory in Paisley Park to make his clothes, which, is, which probably did happen. in the <laughs> Anyway, so like, who's, who wants to go first in this? Uh, I think I think uh, you should go first because oh, really, your film is because uh, I'm prepared. <laughs> no, I'm I'm very prepared as well. It's Prince. I'm super prepared. Um, <laughs> you're over prepared. I'm just the right amount of prepared. David's uh, <laughs> had to be eight hours to get prepared. <laughs> but I think uh, <laughs> our our films are act- our soundtracks are actually soundtracks, whereas yours is just like a marketing exercise. <laughs> Mine is one of the mo- yeah. I mean, I I absolutely acknowledge it you, has but nothing
1: to do with the film. It's one of the most legendary soundtracks, though. Yes. um... We could talk about that now, yeah. Right, it's... okay. Judgment Night came out in 1993. It was like Emilio Estevez, right after he'd done Mighty Ducks, I think, and he wanted to sort of avoid getting into stuff that was too
0: family-friendly. He was no, trying it... to get away from his brat pack status and yeah. trying to be a serious actor.
1: Yeah, and it was also just as Dennis Leary was sort of like kicking in as this kind of counterculture. Irish-Catholic rip-off of Bill Hicks. Wholesale stealing chunks of Bill Hicks's set as well. Um, I think Bill Hicks's family actually took that up with Dennis Leary at one point after he died. He, maybe his sister even spoke to him in person, but I'm not sure. Uh, it was directed by a guy called Stephen Hopkins, uh, who had also done Predator Two, which is a pretty good film, Blown Away, which is a pretty good film, and Nightmare on Elm Street Five: The Dream Child, which is not a pretty good film. I don't totally <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. And I think part of like this film doing really badly. It it must in part come down to the fact that it was released one week after Demolition Man, which was an outrageous success, like really big at the time. Yeah, um, in terms
2: of popcorn blockbuster. Yeah, I, but also uh, aiming it was
1: probably at eighteen, I'd imagine. Yeah, but um, I think R-rated. it rated 15 or eighteen. It trebled, I think, its production budget. Yeah, Demolition it, had big Man, names. it was huge in terms of being catered for action movies. That was probably soaking up a lot of like loose change at that time. The film itself is just about these four guys going to a boxing match that get stuck in the freeway. They're going to miss the match, so they divert down through Chicago. Uh, It was made, it came out in 93, and bear in mind this is about the time of the early riots in 92, and there were a bunch of films coming out sort of like loosely nodding to that, the film falling down. Michael Douglas, is that a Joe Schumacher film, I think, yeah, that one? Uh, yeah, um, Sort of made reference to some of that urban decay and unrest thing as well, the antagonism between the police and things like that. And this film kind of captures that a little bit, which I think is to its credit. It does sort of maybe slightly cast those areas of Chicago as incredibly oh, barren and hostile a bit too much, you know, mm-hmm. detracting from the fact that people were still people and still involved in their communities but you know i've, I've seen it done to a far worse extent in films it's, it's pretty good it's it's them trying to get away from these guys that they end up accidentally seen executing someone in the street who's ripped them off the four guys who are from a kind of reasonably middle-class neighborhood are then trying to get around this kind of urban decay sprawl they can't get the police to answer calls and meanwhile they're being pursued by these hoods it's a pretty watchable movie i quite like it it's got some really great set pieces in it Uh, And I like the fact that it flips that sort of thing of like, usually you watch horror films where it's young women running away from male, male killers. And here you've got like four hapless sort of middle-class guys that are going soft and they're sort of like mid thirties, like losing their, losing their edge. And they're now suddenly up against it and they're just shit scared. Yeah. Decent movie. um, Reminiscent a bit of the Warriors. Reminiscent a bit of uh, Escape from New York. Reminiscent a little bit of New Jack City. Actually, talking about Escape from New York, one of my other cho- choices for soundtrack would probably been Escape from L.A. Mm. It's a vastly, vastly inferior uh, sequel that had a pretty decent soundtrack,
0: albeit patchy, but uh, interesting. It's a lot of fun, that film. It's terrible, but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah. It's I mean, just so over the top. And...
1: Surfing on a Cadillac. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's
0: just, it's, um, we can talk about that, I guess, uh, we could a point. Probably but... do, we could probably
2: do like a, another mixtape that's maybe like Ummer's. No, like (laughs) something like non-musicians doing albums or something like that because, you know, John Carpenter
1: isn't, his first thing is not being a musician, but then he's made some incredible music, Yeah, but that, the Escape from LA one's kind of an exception in his canon because it's actually bands like Tool and stuff like Mm. that that do it. It's a compilation album rather than a score like like he does in like Precinct 13 and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, so, I mean, I've kind of chosen this film the soundtrack to this film for its influence as opposed to its out and out quality uh, it it is it brings together a a host I think it's a dozen rock acts and 11 hip hop acts Cypress Hiller on it twice which is why the, the difference the Judgment Night soundtrack I think has looked back on as being one of the precursors to New Metal and rightly so it didn't invent that crossover idea obviously Uh Against Machine had already kind of 1992 they'd gone triple platinum with their debut 1991 Public Enemy and Anthrax had collaborated on Bring the Noise which is a fucking great tune Like, I listened to it again this morning just to remind me about just how well it's done mm-hmm. you know, w- whether you like either act it is really nicely balanced, You'd, it doesn't sound like one band is competing with the other, it's just a very good, uh, very nice harmony mm-hmm. um, 1990 Ice-T had, done,
2: had started body count
1: That, uh things like Cop Killer had come out, which again was a fusion of like rap and metal. Uh obviously before that, eighty six you'd walk this way, run DMC and Aerosmith. You'd things like um Kerry King playing in No Sleep Till Brooklyn by the Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. you had Public Enemy doing stuff with Slayer on uh, She Watched Channel Zero, I think is the yeah. name of the track. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean it was something that had been going on, and obviously the executives uh especially a guy called Happy Walters, Great. um had spotted this trend and spotted that there was some life in this. Happy Walters, by the way, apparently donated his first name to Happy Gilmore. He's a good friend with Adam Sandler and that's where he got the name from. Um, happy Walters. So by donated, it meant that he could never use
2: the word happy again. and Gave it, it away. Had
1: to. He, he was constantly referred to as just Walters, yeah, I like it. It's the pause. That's it. <laughs> so he founded uh, Buzztone Music, and he also founded Immortal Records. Immortal uh, uh, Records released the soundtrack to this film, but they also released stuff by initially Cypress Hill, House of Pain, but then later on things like Corn, Incubus, mm-hmm. Thirty Seconds to Mars bonafide classics everyone mm-hmm. uh, they also released Everlast stuff, Everlast he was an Immortal and he's actually in the film as one of Dennis Leary's characters called Fallon, he's in as one of his, one of his goons as you said Mark, there are very few of the songs on the soundtrack in the actual film uh, the opening and closing credits are a collaboration between De La Soul and Scotland's own teenage fan club
2: Hey yo kids! What's up? Remember when I used to be dope? Yeah. yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. But well, look what, what you are doing now. I know. Well I know. I lost touch with reality.
1: And it's one of the best tracks on this. Yep. Uh I'll go through that. It came out as a single as well. It's pretty heavily used. There's other snippets like things like whether they're going by apartments and in one of the apartments there's a guy listening to really loud music and that's one of the tracks and there's a couple of wee bits and bobs in the background like when a car's going by there's mute, but there's very little of the actual the songs from the sound this the soundtrack in the movie itself i get that and you're right there is a marketing aspect to that obviously and indeed i think this film would be a lot more obscure than it is if it wasn't for this soundtrack this soundtrack's really really helped it a lot um yeah i mean there's a lot of films you know like
2: late 80s early 90s sort of action films that are totally forgotten you know with big big stars that sort of fell through the cracks yeah and the only reason i ever hear of this movie is because of that soundtrack we mentioned
1: yeah also i think the soundtrack though that has led to overshadowing the movie a wee bit because as i said when you watch the movie and i I, believe me i went up i went back to watch this for this and i was like yeah i mean it's like a crap movie and i Mm. watched it and i was like it's actually really isn't a crap movie. It's not a crap movie. It's it's not the best movie, mm-hmm. but it's pretty good. And as I said, there's some bits in it, some set pieces in it that are really well done. I'm, I'm sorry, but by contemporary standards, it's pretty solid. Happy Walters, by the way, was also the guy who was behind the Spawn soundtrack, which was for six days David's choice until we realised... Until I found out it made too much money. Spawn made a shit ton of money. so Which
2: did a very similar thing, but instead of... Rap and rock, it was electronic and rock. Electronic stuff, yeah. So you had stuff like rock artists like Korn once again, but Slayer once again, Henry Rollins. Filter, and then you also had. Stuff like uh, Moby, um, oh Metallica were on it. Orbital were on it. I'm doing this off the top of my head.
1: Prodig- <laughs> it's fine, You're doing well. <laughs> uh,
2: Orbital uh, did a remix with Kirk Hammett, uh, where he like played guitar over Orbital's song "Satan," and it's fucking oh, cool. amazing. It's really really cool. Yeah. There you know, a, this
1: is the third time we've mentioned the Orbital song, Satan. Yeah, it's such a good tune, though.
2: <laughs> and then uh, Tom Morello played guitar on a Prodigy track, which was actually fucking really good as well. One Man Army, I think it was. I mean, Tom Morello's but, um, a
1: fucking great guitarist, regardless of yeah. how stodgy some of his music is. Um, but yeah,
2: that record was like really interesting. There were some stinkers on it, but some, some
1: really good stuff. Yep. Uh, another one that he did, which follows the same recipe again, although slightly tweaked, was Blade 2. Soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is like things like Red Man and Gorillas, uh, Moss Death and Massive
2: Attack.
1: Even Fat Boy Slim, uh, Mystical and Moby. Uh, uh, again same concept mixing these different artists from different genres uh, and remember, some-
2: remember the trance song um, from the first Blade you know when the blood comes out oh yeah yeah uh, the pub- Public Domain kicking it to you man do 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 yeah they to obviously cut this in I um I saw public domain they DJ'd in Oh. <laughs> in and literally Where? nowhere DJ. <laughs> There's nowhere to do it. They did it in the place which is a community sort of youth club, and then they met, for some reason somebody booked them in and they played to like a hundred and four people, and they could not fucking mix. Like they <laughs> couldn't even beat match. They were so bad but they were like this huge name for a while because of
1: Blade. Anyway, yeah, that's cuts. crazy, yeah. Carry on. Um, another soundtrack that kind of picked up on that as well was uh, Suicide Squad. Apparently that did a sort of similar thing of like mm. taking this idea of matching people together and it's probably another one that ultimately might overshadow the legacy of the film itself. Uh, interesting trivia about Happy Walters before I get into this actual soundtrack. Uh, apparently he was abducted from an ATM by Suge Knight,
0: the, the founder of Death Row Records. Shock. Shug, Shug Knight, yeah. Shug, is that how he's pronounced that? Yeah, S U G E. Shug Knight, yeah. That's such a Scottish name as well. Old Shuggy.
1: Can we not tell him that it should be spelled S H G? Anyway, so Shug Knight, um, up the road, aye, uh, abducted Happy Waters from an ATM, supposedly, uh, to uh, in an attempt to poach. How do you say it, RZA? or Zade? yeah. Rizza. That's Riza, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, he was found two days later. Badly, badly beaten, uh, covered in cigar burns, and he claimed to have amnesia, uh, but then two weeks later uh, dropped almost all his rapper clients. Well then, interesting. There you go. So Shug uh, got his way, it would seem. Business. Shug always got his way. That was was his (laughs) thing. Um, Yeah, I mean in terms of the tracks and the the record First of all, there was a track recorded for this By Regions Machine and Tool That never made it onto the album in the end It's called Can't Kill the Revolution Although you can find it just under Revolution Online And uh, Maynard Keenan had s- originally been a singer in Rage or had sung with him for some time before mm-hmm. Zach came in, I believe. On, and he sings on Know Your Enemy in the first record yeah. as well, doesn't he? In the mid- the bridge. Yeah. There were four singles on it. One of them was the opening track, Just Another Victim, by Helmet and House of Pain, which we mentioned in the Helmet episode. It's a song of like two halves. It starts, the first half really a Helmet tune. Feels really natural, really chunky. Loads of John Stanier's snare drum works really well musically and it's it's nice and ugly the way helmet tune should be mm-hmm. but still dead catchy and has that kind of like macho stomp that I think this album was really going for and this is one of the tracks where they really nail the combination of that uh, it works really well the second half of it is much more to do with House of Pain it's much more DJ-ish and the, the drums are looped instead of played live
0: I I told you you're just another
1: victim you're just another victim kid. you're just another victim you're just another victim, kid. You're just another victim. You're just another victim, kid. Good You're track. Uh, it's it's kind of one that's persevered beyond even just the soundtrack. Uh, second tune is the one we spoke about, Fallen by De La Soul and Teenage Fan Club. I couldn't believe got you know we know brendan o'hare brendan was a promoter in glasgow i can't believe that brendan sings and helped compose this opening <laughs> credits tune for judgment night and I had, I had no idea and he'd done that with Della so it's really cool <laughs>
0: That. such a good vibe on this song man it's the guitar is amazing and the day the soul flow is just fucking it's always great but it's especially good on this song it's man.
2: it's one of, when i was it's reading, like a proper classic hip-hop track yeah it, it is totally, and yeah. see
0: reading reviews of the soundtrack
1: people are like this soundtrack is very up and down but this is a proper cut this is like a really really good example of the formula working like these guys mm-hmm. worked well together they seemed to really gel. They respected each other's craft and they, they really incorporated good elements and allowed each other room.
2: But it's not... The way that it works is it's not really rap... I mean, it's definitely not rap metal. Teenage Fan Club aren't a metal no, band. No, not at all. But it's it's just like
1: a good live band. Like a good... Good like, live hip-hop b- band. Hip-hop band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Teenage Fan Club were touring with Nirvana at the time, though. So, they were a rock Yeah, they were a rock band. They're not... They're, they're janglier th- now, but mm. they were a rock band and they, you know, they were... Not uh, averse to their, but like rock and roll behavior as well. Mm-hmm. You know they had they were a good time band and it, it just works really well. And it's one of the braver moments on it as well because as you say it's not rap metal. You know it's not heavy. It's not macho. Adela Soul very really were, Um but neither were for the fannies. So it's it's just a great bit. Um, the Living Colour and Run DMC the third track it's just okay. Me myself my microphone. <laughs> A good kind of catchy hook, but the rest of the song is pretty weak. It's a bit cheesy, I think. Yeah, it's cheesy.
0: I think Run DMC fucking smash it though. Yeah, I think it's the colour guitar stuff that kind of lets it down.
1: Well, Mm. that's what I was going to say. Like one of the weird things with the mix is the guitars overwhelming. Yeah, Yeah. it's like way too much of it. Like he just played over the track when it was finished. Uh, The fourth track, Biohazard and Onyx did the the kind of title track, Judgment (laughs) Night. As you can imagine, pretty macho, (laughs) pretty pretty much the precursor to most of the worst rap metal that came out. Uh, They'd actually already toured together as a live combination thing called Bionics. Um, I'd
2: never heard Onyx before, really, Um, and I was actually quite impressed with this. I didn't really like the Biohazard shit. I'm not a big Biohazard fan. No, me neither.
1: I kind of feel like this one should have been better though because apparently the Bionics thing, they worked on it together for a while and it was quite mm-hmm. a it was quite a good cohesive live show that this track didn't really gel the way some of the live and stuff did. Yeah, Talk about missed opportunities. So Slayer and Ice-T collaborated on this and instead of coming out, I mean Ice-T had done body count and stuff like that and Slayer had already collaborated with other people they could have done something pretty special with this it's and then weird that this is one of the weakest on it, yeah, it really they get does, three man? exploited covers mm-hmm. that's yeah. what it is it's like a, it's like a kind of it's a jive meddling. bunny medley yeah
0: it's
2: interesting because on the Spawn soundtrack Slayer team up with Atari Teenage Riot and that is as good as you'd expect i think Mm -hmm. i really like that track yeah it's so heavy but on this they just shite it I think
1: maybe the criticism sunk in I don't know it just it does seem slightly lazy yeah I I mean you never know
2: where each band are at this point yeah I mean I suppose in 1993 Slayer were you know coming off the Holy Trinity and working out what they wanted to do so but you know
1: who knows there was a lot of chat as well with like, the various approaches that bands took to this so some of them just they were basically swapping files from a distance you know at that time yeah. mailing them across the country to each other Yeah, exactly. S- like some that. of
2: the guys in this might have been really fucking into it and some of them might have been like oh our label signed us up to that I suppose we'd be better good at it done this afternoon
1: yeah so. Um, one of the more standout tunes which is also a single was Faith No More and the Booyah Tribe with a song called Another Body Murdered
0: And if
1: they play Then they play When
2: they like I think it's It's my favourite one on it Just because it's the one That's got the most Fuck you energy in
1: it Yeah it's just such a Fucking innovative Collaboration Booyah Tribe Where are they from again The Booyah Tribe It's like Polynesian Or something like that Mm -hmm. They're like Yeah I can't can't, They weren't really A known quantity It's interesting Mm -hmm. that They were chosen for this Especially work with Somebody as high profile As Faith No More But it works really well It's a very Idiosyncratic tune Mike Patton does basically a combination of whoa and then screaming. That's mm-hmm. it. Like that's, that's his contribution, which kind of sets the tone as well for some of his more eccentric work subsequently. Cause he's a guy that was quite into collaborating on really odd projects. He collaborates with the band Zoo and does just mainly just screams as well. It's an interesting tune with an interesting approach. A really gothic vibe to it as well. And Roddy Bottom's piano in it really accentuates that kind of gothiness. I, I, as you say I think it's one of the strongest tunes on it Mm -hmm. and it's another one that's sort of survived you can hear that tune at metal clubs and stuff standing on its own two feet yeah track 7 Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill I Love You Mary Jane isn't necessarily like it's certainly not a banger and and i'm amazed that sonic youth did it in the first place but weirdly i quite it's so different i I mean kim gordon whispering and Thurston dragging a plectrum up and down a guitar string Mm -hmm. is cypress were probably like what the fuck are we meant to do with this and given what they were faced with they actually turned out a pretty decent song albeit it's a little bit strange but I don't know I I think there's something endearing about that because they were definitely up against it Um, I quite like it
0: I don't know I think it's a I think the collaboration works really well and I think it's the only Sonic Youth song I've ever heard that I like (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to assume that's because you've not heard
1: enough Sonic (laughs) Youth because they are good but they are definitely very prone to
0: their own RC RE bullshit as well yeah that's just what they do uh, it's well. kind of a predictable fair from Cypress Hill, though. I love you, Mary Jane. Like,
2: yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, totally. oh, did you know that Cypress Hill liked to smoke weed? I had no idea. But Cypress Hill then went on, they did like a rock album, and then obviously- like, Yeah, they
1: really took me- to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're yeah.
0: members of whatever that band is that they all are in Purpose now. of Rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. B-Real, no, is it p Real? Yeah, is I it think B- it's B-Real. It's B- Real, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: The 8th track after this Now this this is a really interesting one Because this is uh, a track where the the people taking part in it Really got into it it So uh, the interviews with Sir Mix a lot he went into the studio with my tunny they all just got like a shitload of beer skinned up a bunch of joints and jammed together it's
2: such a weird mix though
1: isn't it yeah, is so <laughs> odd <laughs> but this is the thing though because this is it doesn't work because of the mix yeah. but the thing is it works as a tune because it's two different genres jamming together and I think there's something much more authentic in and endearing about this track than some of the others you say that it would be interesting to
2: hear like an album of this see what they'd get up to over like a few weeks in the studio because I just I don't think this quite works but I can totally see what they're getting at and it's one of the more adventurous tracks in the whole album totally it's not just like alright you're gonna do our thing and we'll do your thing like they're doing something Wonky. They really engaged and with the I, spirit of it, I think. Yeah.
1: And it's not a track
2: I'm going to go and listen to. No.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm but... not. It's not one of the strongest tracks, but in terms of their investing in the project and yeah. being up for it and so apparently they got on great they said they were a bit wary at first then they just really bonded in the studio and it turned into this thing And just I like big muffs I <laughs> lie
0: very good David mean keeping I, up have have thought, I just thought I, that right there uh-huh. I would have thought that Sir Max Lott was irrelevant at this point but I don't know what his cultural cachet was like at this, at uh, this I, stage I think
1: he still had a couple of things in the tank yeah I think he had a couple of things come out in the back of that um, Track 9 Dinosaur Jr and Del the Funky Homo Sapien you're behind for the mind and for the soul that's how i roll now i hold the mic like my life depended on it i'm doing upon it, it my nun gets watered and i'm apart from wackness i'm separated missing link which is a clever title when you consider dinosaur junior and the funky homo yeah,
0: yeah.
1: nice one um it's a bit of a lame tune to be honest i'm not a big dinosaur junior fan anyway it's kind of sluggish even though it's quite tuneful one endearing quality probably for you as well Mark is that it did lead to a Saturday Night Live performance that featured J Massis uh, Mike D Dell the funky homo sapiens, and Mike Watt all on stage <laughs> playing the tune and apparently it's,
0: it's on YouTube it's a pretty killer performance Dell's a great rapper man and the guitar that, that works so well for me because J Massis is not singing <laughs>
1: Honestly man If we ever end up Being asked to do A fucking Dinosaur Junior record I am going to Have a face like Fizz Um, Number 10 Therapy and Fatal Whoever Fatal is
0: and die is the poorest song in the record yeah i've just written why is this song a
1: thing most folk agree that it's it's not
2: yeah this sounds like a british band being asked to do it and then a rapper being found to add to it and then oh it's shit I mean, I nobody don't puts e- any effort into i can't it. remember
1: the chronology was this before or after trouble gum i mean therapy were on on the up but they just never really yeah crested if you know what i mean um yeah, I think this is probably most people's idea of why rap rock crossovers are a bad idea. This was
0: just yeah. yeah, This was just before Trouble Gum, but it was probably recorded around roughly the same time.
1: Yeah, so it it doesn't work. It sounds poorly thought out, and the final track. Sorry, it wasn't twelve bands. It was t- eleven. Uh, Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill with a track called "Real Thing." <laughs> Which is pretty awful. Uh, Eddie Vedder refused to take part in it. Uh, Doesn't really sound like Pearl Jam and given that this is Pearl Jam at a stage that I couldn't be fucked with Pearl Jam anyway. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of merit going on here. Stone Gossard doing this weird backing vocal, Cypress Hill sort of just cobbling this thing. It's not got a lot of life or personality. It's considering what Sonic Youth did with Cypress Hill. It really shows it up. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's probably saying a lot that Eddie Vedder didn't really want anything to do with it as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Eddie, whatever you think of his music, seems like a pretty sound guy and he seems like pretty on it when it comes to things that are crass. Yeah, this feels pretty crass.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So, I mean, I'm not going to say for a minute that it's not a very flawed record, there's at least four tracks in here that I would not want to listen to again, but there's also a lot of tracks in here that are very innovative, like the the, the, the Fannies and De Soul one in particular, mm-hmm. the Helmet track, uh, Faith No More tracks brilliant, I like the Sonic Youth Cypress Hill one, and I, I admire what Mudhoney and Sir Mixed Lot would try to do, even if it didn't necessarily work, and it set the template, it didn't invent the rap rock crossover, but it consolidated the idea, the idea was drifting about as I say in little blips and bloops and then this was like one big solid chunk of that and then new metal happened Mm -hmm. on the back of it and so it's hugely influential and I think there's a lot of like nostalgic qualities to it I'm, I'm sure you'll agree I think it's pretty decent yeah yeah
2: Hi guys, sorry to interrupt your listening Pleasure
1: We're not sorry uh, We are not going to ask you for money this time w- The main obstacle to us really kind of starting to get this thing to kind of pay for itself And help us get better facilities and maybe eventually do a filmed version of it uh, As money As money And so one way that we've decided we can get around that is if you tag people And we can just expand the audience Because when the audience expands If the same percentage of people still pay, that's
2: fine So we just need more people to listen and then the same small percentage of people will pay Yeah
1: hopefully. hopefully we've done A solid enough job to this point That you're not embarrassed to tag people in So if you do think there's an episode Someone will like uh, Or you even just want to bring it to someone's attention We'd really appreciate that uh, Likewise reviews kind of help push us up the charts as well
0: mm-hmm. Mark thought, you, you know how these things work Yeah reviews are great Ratings are great um, We've got 1 4 star rating And 22 5 star ratings on iTunes Who was it? It, we, you don't know time. Because if you don't leave a review You don't know who it is oh, you <sniffs> I've got my
1: suspicions Motherfucker oh, <laughs> It'll be fucking one of those guys That were slagging off About the rugby
0: last week Probably yeah. <laughs> uh, Please go and do that uh, Also big shout out to VJ Because she is now A regular monthly contributor
2: Thank you And we- also thanks to Craig Who donates occasionally
1: And he has donated A p- particularly excellent suggestion To the Nexus uh- as well so keep those coming as well, please. Just yes. stick them wherever you want. Emails, messages, tags, comments, pigeons, whatever.
0: Mm. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I give you the floor. Who's, who's, who's next? We should go for you because I
2: think if we're going from least soundtrack to most soundtrack yeah, mine is pretty much an integral score that it maybe doesn't work <laughs> without the film yours doesn't involve the film yours is pretty much 50-50 hey, what are you
1: talking about yours is all singles <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, banger after banger <laughs> So, I uh, do, so can I just say, I do imagine that once Dave got to his 11th hour of DJing on the Isle of Egg, it was pretty much the
0: same.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey guys,
2: just go put on the nine minutes of a thump, because <laughs> that's what my brain is doing right now. <laughs>
0: uh, so I've picked uh, the soundtrack to Under the Cherryman, which is called Parade by Prince and the Revolution. Um, that's, so I'm <laughs> so I can just, because it took me a while to work that out as well. The album is called Parade, but the film was
1: under the Cherry Moon. That's right, and it was yeah. released in its own right as an album. Yes, yeah, right, okay. So,
2: but it says on, even on the album cover, cover it says the soundtrack to right. Under the Cherry Moon. Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
0: Um, it was uh, the film is about a character who's jiggle called Christopher <laughs> Tracy, Christopher <laughs> Tracy, which is like the most Prince thing, <laughs> uh, and it's set in Riviera, French Riviera, and basically the whole story of the film is uh, Christopher Tracy. Uh, Prince trying to woo Kirsten Kristen Scott Thomas, which is our first film role. Yeah. Believe it or not. He uh, has got an eye for talent. He does. Uh Madonna and Janet Jackson were both uh uh mooted eyed for the role yeah. and then so was Susanna Melvine who was the sister of Prince's girlfriend at the time, Wendy, who's who was in the revolution. Uh and the film is fucking awful. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was there's a lot of really interesting trivia about the film. It was filmed completely in color. Prince wanted it to be in black and white. The studio said no, but he was Prince, so they did it anyway. Um, that's <laughs> that's that's the exact story. Um, <laughs> the premiere was was held in. Uh, so they
2: sh- recorded it. They filmed it in filmed color. In color, and then converted it.
0: Converted it to black and white. So oh Jesus! <laughs> um, they just changed the setting on the telly. Yeah. That yeah. The film was premiered in uh, shared in Wyoming, which is a. Uh, town in the middle of fucking nowhere in america and basically someday won an mtv competition a, a classic of lisa barber to have the film shown in her in our home her home city <laughs> so prince came down, the premiere was there she went to the premiere with prince she sat next to him she went to the party with him and she did the whole fucking thing it was wow. like apparently it was a uh, apparently it changed their life in a really bad and good way. See, see nowadays um, man they would fix that competition they would fix the fuck out of that competition yeah, it would
1: be, be like Seattle you know Chicago fucking Miami something like that it would
0: no way would that be in Sheridan <laughs> I know it's like the middle of fucking nowhere man uh, and it's probably the most interesting th- the most interesting thing about the film all in the soundtrack is that fact <laughs> <laughs> well he wrote and directed it didn't he he didn't a write it it's total vanity project it was written by Becky Johnson good oh, right I so he had it. that idea for the film and uh, they pitched the for screenplays and uh, they, they went with Becky Johnson did like a sort of test screenplay for it and they thought well this looks like it'd be quite good so let's get her to write it this isn't totally dreadful let's do it yeah, and but this is Prince's second film so this was a follow up to Purple Rain yeah so uh, Purple Rain was uh, Oscar won a soundtrack Grammy won a soundtrack you know um, yeah. he was in this top.
1: won awards as well this, this won, one won five gold raspberry, yeah, raspberry awards award, right, <laughs> five <laughs> raspberries yeah, yeah
0: five but razzies and
2: tied for worst film with Howard how the Duck, duck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which tells you all you need to know but really uh, <laughs> um, yeah so uh, Prince was like untouchable at this point you know he'd come off of the Purple Rain and he released Um, around the world, the I'm pretty sure it was around the world in a day, and then. But Purple
2: Rain as a film made money. It wasn't. It it wasn't a commercial
0: flop. It was not a commercial flop. It was uh, critically
2: in between.
0: Mm, Yeah, definitely. Um, (laughs) That's definitely a good way to describe
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, if you, uh, I actually went. I went to see Purple Rain at the GFT on one of their like late Friday night showings, and for the first time, and I was just like fucking hell prince yeah (laughs) only prince could have made that film because
1: it's so it's so bad at least i hate it it's
0: i mean it's not good it's it's objectively bad i don't don't like it at all Um, like i said prince can do loads of things great and there's things he can't do very well in acting and directing it's definitely i'm breathing i'm I'm breathing now yeah he's incapable of doing that uh due to fentanyl um but yeah so purple rain was a huge success Warner Brothers were loving him. It became this overnight rock star, which he really kind of wasn't before. He went away and made it Around the World in a Day, which is like his sort of album, which was like a foray into like 60s psychedelia almost, but it's got a handful of really good songs on it, like uh, Raspberry Beret. is one of his best songs I would say When He's Top um, 4 Yeah mm. um, I Have Pais- A
1: Prince Top 4 mm. and that's that's one of them P- You Have A Prince Top 4
0: mm. Paisley yeah, Park I so. and Pop Life are two good songs on that record America's pretty good but not not, not a patch for anything which is on this record so Praed comes next he wants to do another film the record, the record company who are also the film studio go okay let's do this so they decide to make Under the Cherry Moon Hire Mary Lambert to direct it. She gets fired a third of the way through. He directs the rest of the film himself and it's just a unmitigated a disaster from start to finish. Do you know uh, it only got
1: 1% less than Judgment Night on Rotten Tomatoes? 34%. <laughs> oh, there you go. But it was 5 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good film, but the soundtrack
0: is... My confirmation bias tells me that that's agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack to this film, however, is one of the best print records Without a uh, shadow of I it mean, doubt. it
2: is one of the best Prince albums. Yeah.
0: I don't know if I agree with that, but all right, carry on. Right. Uh, so, it's after Around the World and Day, which is kind of a bit shitty, kind of half good. Uh, he, he was obviously starting to explore a lot more European sounds. So, kinda, I kind of imagine that um, the idea for the film probably came along about the same time that he was experimenting and listening to music fr- from Europe, I suppose you could say, traditional stuff. Um, so, this film comes out and. He put together a soundtrack. All the songs are the all the songs that are in the film, and there's a couple of songs that are not in the film, which were also B sides. But yes, yeah, I think it's a really, really good record. Um, it starts off with Christopher Tracy's Parade, which is co-written with his dad. Pretty cool song. It's got totally, totally got that European vibe. Is Quite- his dad called King? No, sadly not. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's called John. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what that means. Maybe. First track's definitely an open title style track. Uh, new Position is a second track. Uh, it's got like a kind of weird jazzy funky hybrid. You can see him kinda pushing his jazz funky kind of feels in a completely new direction here, which is why it's so interesting. Flies by really quickly It's quite sparse Quite fleeting The first Um, four tracks Are really short Yeah so the the rumour is That the first four songs Were recorded all at once On the spot Back to back Mm. uh, And and like just a big burst Of creativity And I think that's Probably why they're also short Because they're basically A suite I Wonder You Which is the third song Has Wendy in vocals She's pretty decent vocalist as well, uh, but it's kind of got this kind of druggy feel. And then under <laughs> the Chair the moon, which is like a uh, pretty French sounding after that, I'd say. Well, there were, there are a few Parisian kind of vibes in this yeah. anyway. Uh, that happens later on as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another co-write with his dad. Uh, this is where you can really start to hear Claire Fisher's string arrangements coming into play. The strings in the song are super lush and it has a kind of laid-back lounge bar feel. As I've been a gigolo in the Riviera, it's probably quite apt for his character. <laughs> yeah, see, I remember uh, those days myself. Yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> this is my soundtrack. It's guys, all about
1: yeah. being laid back. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about being laid, really. Um, see, one thing that really strikes me about this album is the really odd production on the drums. That was and, that was kind of a Prince staple with some of well, with a lot of his eighties records. Yeah, but this one especially. So I, I mean, I think it really works at times, but at other times it's really odd. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, especially listening to this album versus in a room and headphones. Mm-hmm. On headphones, the drum production I think is quite distracting at times because of the panning. Be, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: um, a lot of I don't know. A lot of pre ninety ninety records are only made for rooms, and they don't even mm-hmm. think about headphones. And it is yeah, it is weird. Uh, listening to certain albums like that. There's a oh. shit story, carry on.
0: <laughs> I think one of the reasons that you started doing that as well is because around the world in a day, and apparently that's the first time I'd actually started properly ever listening to the Beatles, so that's where you get that kind of 60s psychedelia vibe on it. And needed did a lot of that shit when they started doing stereo mixing and other songs. Like that. I've heard of them, I've never actually listened to any by them. <laughs> a lot of the drums are kind of weird pans and all that because. Squeeze drum or kidney drum? No, I mean, it was all mono. I think no, weird don't, pans don't, like don't a walk, weird, weird, weird pots and pans of certain. Uh, but like when they did stereo records, like it was only the hard two records of their career they were doing it. So like mixing drums and stereo was something they'd never like George Martin Had never done before. So I think maybe he got some influence f- from that kind of approach. And but playing I... drums is San Ringo had never done before. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't yeah. even the best drummer in the videos.
1: <laughs> I watched the the episode of The Simpsons where Mars does a portrait of him and he gets it like twenty years later and he holds it up and just goes,
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 really
1: fucking funny. Um yeah, I mean I I I watched a couple of like, like I said, like fan reviews of this and a message that came across and something I hadn't really considered until I was Reflecting back on my own impressions of it, is that the first side of this on on record, the way it was released, is much more about the film. Yeah, it's much more about catering to the mood of the scenes, and it's much more about it being being more of a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So the first half of this is more akin to what Dave's bringing to the table here. In the second half, is much more about the songs individually. And for me, I think the second half of this record is great. I think it's really interesting. I think. The tunes are much stronger. Mm-hmm. The first half didn't really do anything for me. I th- the production was interesting. There was some, like you know, the string arrangements and stuff are professional, but professional and enjoyable for me are quite separate. I didn't really like the first side of it, but I, as I say, I mean, one exception might be Girls and Boys. Girls which and I'm, Boys is one of the best
0: of Prince, 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 Prince songs. It's a fun tune That is is a fun tune The saxophone in that Is just fucking outrageous
1: I'm just not sure About the first side But I do think it Really picks up
0: I mean Life can be not So nice in Venus de Milo Are both really good Are both good songs I think Venus de Milo Instrumental It definitely plays To the end of the first act The end of the second act Of the film You know It's definitely That kind of high point our arrangement is brilliant then the second half of the record uh, it's a shame that Do You Lie is in the middle because that's that would be the best four song run of any of pretty much most albums ever written I
1: think yeah Do You Lie is sort of tongue in cheek isn't it it's, it's very French it's yeah, totally. the accordion is stuff yeah. it's like
0: ridiculously so hmm. <laughs> Mounds is great It's like a massively Upbeat funk song mountains is textbook prince for me absolutely it's like, like his head voice is up in, at play there um it's it's got lovely backing vocals great horns i mean prince when when prince was in full funk mode his, the way he would deploy horns was proper james brown-esque yeah it's just got a really good role
1: to it you know the song just it just i'm surprised actually it's not a better known song from his catalogue but it's it's really strong
0: Yeah, and it, you're right it's probably the closest to the 80s prince this record gets yeah i would say Because Kiss, which is after Do You Lie Kiss is fucking brilliant brilliant. It's not 80s Prince though, it's Prince in a different level It's just
2: proper classic It's a classic I I can't put it any more simply than It's just a fucking classic song
0: Like Kiss is it's completely Chris's timeless. Kiss four,
1: by the way. Kiss,
0: Kiss is another unbelievable. one unbelievable.
2: I mean, and, it's probably one of the best you know, top 50 songs of all time, to be yeah, honest.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? He wrote that for uh, Maserati, who was one of his artists, mm-hmm. and he liked it so much that he stole it back off him for this record. So it's actually Maserati's backing vocals are actually the backing vocals on the song because oh, he cool. just took it back off him and re recorded the vocals. I
1: mean, Dave's right, it is totally timeless. It it's got played
2: at about 20 past three on Saturday
1: night <laughs> on the BJ <laughs> <DJ> set.
2: <laughs> quite quite often drops it down yeah that's a
1: great tune yeah like like I said I've got four go-to Prince songs and that's that's two of them like definitely what
2: are the other two? you really want to do this?
1: yeah do it Uh, just quickly Cream would be Cream number three of four Uh very good the best Prince song of all time is Get Off Uh.
0: that's so juvenile but I love it
1: (laughs) (laughs) sensational man it's absolutely the, the way it comes in is just never been beaten Asides for that um, I do think Kiss Stands out a wee bit In this record though The production on it is, It just all comes together So much better I think Than in some of the other tracks It, it just really Everything feels right In that song The mix is fucking perfect There's and
0: a longer version of this Which was apparently Going to be in the record But was not because there's a whole massive intro to that song as well, but that's because one side of the record would have had to be bigger than the other. But <laughs> the, the, the 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 sort of knowledge from the I guess the the Prince vault of fucking fan knowledge is that he made the executive decision close to when the record was about to be released that you know what this song just needs to be the single, mm-hmm. it just needs to be that because that's all it needs. Yeah, and it was totally right. Yeah, it was right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then another love of hole in your head is underrated, low key one of the best Prince songs ever written. I think. Is just Fucking so good man And it, it, every single time We hear it, it gets better That chorus just gets me Every single time man It's just got so much Charge in it And it's so irresistibly Dancing You can't see this But Mark is getting Really it's animated feeling so it good, I've man. never seen him like this <laughs> The bass is amazing As well We always knew this Would happen If yeah. we started
1: doing Prince in episodes yeah. and episodes yeah. And Mark was
0: I don't want to put any kind of ornaments out the road But I mean that, that, not, Is that not a great song though? That's a really good song Yeah it's just pretty good And then it ends, <laughs> yeah, no, I like it ends with I like, think my, my, Maybe my top one or top Or my second <laughs> Top one Top one or That's definitely my top two <laughs> Favourite Friends song right Sometimes it's not in April Which is just Yeah it is fucking amazing beautiful It does It does I can tell
2: <laughs> it's so good. When I met Mark for the first time, when I was like. My God, he's definitely a sometimes-it-snows-in-april sort of guy.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was right. Like I, can, I can see it from the other side of the street. He yeah, got you. it. got it. Oh, my God. You know what you just get me, Dave? <laughs> is that... Oh, my God. I mean, so, Cut. yeah, it is a very good album. It is a very good album. And it's that is like, the, one of the best songs ever written, so fuck you
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, does it... I don't know. Does... How shit the film <laughs> tarnish it? I mean, that helped in it, terms of what we're talking
1: about. That, the shitness of the film just helped it qualify for this episode. Ultimately, it was a means to an end. Yeah, yeah,
0: true. <laughs> I mean, we could do the whole we could do a whole other podcast on that record alone if you want. Uh, I've got notes for days, but I think um, it, it bends the rules a bit because the film is unbearably shit, right? And it's it's unfair, really. I think, but I put it forward anyway because it's, it's, fucking great.
1: <laughs> it's something that
0: can't happen very often where an
1: artist gets to compose a soundtrack for their own film or, or at least even just their own script. There's very few people that are in that position. Like we spoke about John Carpenter. Uh people like Nick Cave maybe get close to that at times. Um, but there's not a lot of people can do that. I mean, fortunately for them, their Madonna. Fil- Madonna. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for them their films tend to be a bit better than mm-hmm. this film. Uh but it's still an interesting uh, what's the word? It is the complete artistic package. Like, Mm -hmm. it it is an autored vision, more or less. I mean, I know somebody else wrote the script, but it's it's a huge project and I admire that and the the singularity of, you know, vision as well. I don't think it's as strong in the first half as it is in the second half, but I do agree it's got some timeless uh, music on it. It's a cruddy movie, though.
2: Mm. Oh, yeah. So let me get this straight. I've been thinking about this. Okay. Mark, if this gets voted in... Mm. Does that mean that no? <laughs> the answer's no. Does that mean that we, that's the Prince album?
1: Oh, <laughs> the no. Because, or does I that mean-,
0: mean that Prince somehow gets two passes? Yes, Prince. <laughs> no, I mean uh. we could. There was always a there was always a discussion we had when we talk when we were uh, way back at the start. Whereas we start like dissecting artists, we choose catalogues. There could be an opportunity of doing more than one record for them you know I mean I think we've all got bands like that that we uh, could use is mm-hmm. sound the mark like, backpedalling yeah <laughs> I know we've art. you could have Maiden Yeah, they're not going in again didn't. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get in the first time though do you know what I mean they didn't get in the first time you fucking yeah. love you love some weird shit Chris you could like what the fuck's I got to do in I couldn't think of any off the top of my head but you know you, you like artists with like huge back catalogs as well so of course they do yeah but we can only put one in mm.
2: mm-hmm.
0: so you better hope that this doesn't get chosen it's yeah. not going anyway
1: mine's going to get chosen <laughs> Probably well Probably well <laughs> And talking a witch uh, David
2: uh, Yeah So um, Under the skin 2013 2013 Although it came out The soundtrack came the out in 2014 I think Yeah Well I think the film Actually got released in 2014 as well But most places 13 It was like going around The film festivals and stuff oh, like okay, that Okay okay And it was sort of a Film festival film
1: Yeah Some was, people said it was by far The best uh, film at the Venice Film festival
2: I know that Yeah and so it was. It cost about eleven million quid to make, and it only made four and a half, five yeah. back. Uh, even though got fucking rave reviews, um, but it's an art house piece. It's uh, and
1: how holy fucking shit is an art house piece. I have not seen it. It's been on my list for a long. That time. That is crazy, man. It's based on a book by Michael Faber from two thousand, which skin. is not
2: necessarily an art house novel.
1: No, it, the film is not the book. Like mm-hmm. the, it was originally apparently Brad Pitt was in it. Mm-hmm. And it was a much more conventional, big budget movie. Uh, They decided to completely change the narrative because it's like aliens processing people for meat. Excuse me, spoiler alert. They cut all the scenes uh, with the guy, basically. They were like, only leave in all the scenes that have her. I think Jonathan Glazer said it was the equivalent of taking a giant arena rock band and cutting it down to pg harvey he yeah, was like we, yeah. we cut all the machismo we cut all the male stuff out of it we made it much artier and more interesting and more artistically pure uh, it is fucking dark david i mean are you gonna give a bit of the history of the movie itself or you want me to, cause fucking, i mean you go for it if you want with the movie it was mostly non-actors and actresses well mostly non-actors it's scarlett Johansson. Spoiler alert! Scarlett Hansen touring about the east end of Glasgow, including like Celtic matches as they were coming out. Yeah, and know past
2: the Barrelance and stuff like
1: that. Yeah, in a white transit van. Not pure covert filmed as well. Like well, it wasn't picking up guys like stopping, winding in the window, talking to guys. They didn't know it was her. Uh, she's got dark hair and it kind of looks not so much like herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, eventually, what they did was they the incur- guys would get into the van for a lift. Then they would get them to sign a release and say to them, "Look, if you want to do this." You're going to need to get naked you're going to need to do this but then the actors in it including the boy with the severe facial disfigurement mm-hmm. that was all real like he was in an, an advocate and an, an actor with a facial disfigurement and he actually contributed part of his characters yeah writing. he had some
2: recommendations yeah. on how she'd act and react yeah to
1: him. It's, it's, it's a fucking phenomenally ambitious film and it is really pretty spectacular albeit dead impenetrable at points and totally bleak like really fucking bleak Um, there's no joy in this film i don't think but you know weird fact though part of it was shot nice and sleazy uh just covertly like her and her entourage were just in a night out because one of my friends was actually ended up standing drinking with her yeah uh, and she was apparently just dead nice she was also eating in the deli around the corner from where we're recording right now maybe about it was like 30 seconds away from here she was just going in and out and people didn't think it was her because he didn't know she was in town filming it. Um, other actresses have been linked to it originally. There's she'd-
2: also a meme of her falling over. And it was like, a, it was, it was a meme oh, in, about in five or six
1: years ago. And it
2: that was on Socket Hall Street yeah. when she was filming. Yeah. Um, so actually, right. I saw her in town, but she was, she wasn't filming, but she was just having dinner at Stravagan. Yeah. Uh, that yes. was
1: wild. She yeah. really, apparently really, really loved it here. Like the whole chat was that she wanted to yeah. invest in property here and move back. One thing for people that are from out with Glasgow, one thing Glasgow does really well, and it's partly the attitude of, oh, you think you're better than me, Mm. is we don't particularly hassle celebrities. There's a lot of celebrities in Glasgow that just move about quite freely because the attitude here is not to be overawed by fame, but to treat people pretty normally. So even just in this area, there's loads and loads of very recognisable faces. People from the movies like Alien and Lord of the Rings, uh, comedians, writers, uh, folk from Game of Thrones... They just cut about they just do their own thing and they don't get bothered and that's actually I think something that she really enjoyed around about the same time Halle Berry was filming in Glasgow as well it was a really weird period mm-hmm. for, for, for we also time. had like Brad Pitt was over for that fucking shite zombie world Z, Z yeah. yeah stuff like that so yeah so this was shot here and it's really odd Scotland makes for a weird location Uh and especially when you embrace its bleakness also uh, the, again spoiler alert the guy at the end that tears her flesh off when he tries to rape her was not an actor (laughs) it wasn't a real rape but uh he was the owner of the land that they'd filmed it on and they'd said to him do you want to play the part and he was like yeah cool
2: yeah um and it's (laughs) and it's interesting that like a lot of scottish movies come here to like get those incredible aerial shots of the mountains and sky and stuff like that whereas in this film it's mostly weather like it is today you know it's gray and and cloudy and oppressive and you can't see fucking anything, or it's you know the East End of Glasgow. The housing
1: schemes of the East End are bleak. Yeah, around, you know? yeah,
2: exactly. So you know they're not here for the scenery. Although there are parts that are in sort of darkly beautiful places, but mm-hmm. um, not in that sort of picture postcard
1: sort of thing that you're used to seeing. As as somebody that has gone to more than a few Celtic matches, I am a wee bit gutted. I didn't get picked up in a transport <laughs> by Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> and then asked to get your. How own weird own is it As well, this came out the same week as was it Avengers oh really yeah which was also in which is crazy yeah it's like
2: i you know it shows how you know versatile an actress she is and yeah she's really she is a really good actor i really like her um and she works really well on this film because you know she's a sort of legendary sex symbol and yet she kind of inverts that the, in they this. play on that in this yeah, yeah exactly
1: because you're like it's fucking Scarlett hansen but it's so this it was her first nude scene yeah of all time and she kind of the way they play the nude scene is her seeming perplexed at her sexuality. Yeah. Like, it's very well done. It's yeah. like she's really like confused as to why people are attracted to her and stuff. It's, it's, it's good. Also, this film has less than 50 lines of dialogue in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I love films like that. Yeah. Um, You're um, going to love this film. Big, big fan. So, the director, have
2: you seen um, Sexy Beast? No, that was Jonathan Glazer's first mm. film. Fucking
1: amazing. Then he did Birth, which birth. Is, birth. is so weird. Oh, it's it's really good, but it's unbelievably dark as well. Yeah, the opening scene of Birth for anyone that's not seen it, the first two minutes, is some of the greatest cinematography. It is wonderful.
2: But um, Jonathan Glazer, he's also quite famed for his commercials, but also for his uh, incredible work on music videos, which is maybe how why the music works so well with this because he's able to utilize sort of cinematography without any words really as you said you know less than 50 lines of di- dialogue he did that he did karma coma by massive attack universal by blur a uh, street spirit that you know mm-hmm. amazing slow motion one yeah uh, radiohead he also did karma police as well which is a fucking yeah. ridiculous it's um, a totally
1: iconic video yeah
2: Virtual Insanity by Jumeirah Wai. Oh, one of my favourites. It, no, but that video is ridiculous. <laughs> the, the video was ridiculous. great, the so, video was oh, great yeah.
1: God damn that band.
0: Yeah, fuck <laughs> I mean, that, that band. It's back
1: to Top Loader again. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's... Apparently, uh, Mika Levy said that one of the best things about working with Jonathan Glazer was the non-musical terminology he uses to get his ideas across to her. She said it was really interesting to have his wishes for the direction of the score conveyed in such kind of non esoteric musical terms. She said it was really conducive to, you know, what is actually a very, very powerful soundtrack, albeit, I sense it's going to divide people much in the same way as the film does. Yeah. Do you know, just going back to Jonathan Glazer, do you know what he also directed?
2: Uh, the famous horses surfing Guinness advert. Oh, did he? With the wow, um, Leftfield soundtrack. The White Horses. Uh-huh. One, yeah, he'd done the, the one before, which was like the old Italian guys doing the swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get a pint of Guinness at the end. It was like 1998 or something like that. And then Guinness loved it so much, they'd give him more
1: money and he did that. Again, really, the, horse, the Horses one is really iconic as well. Yeah. yeah, it really is. So, um, So, yeah, I mean, you can't really track by track doesn't necessarily work quite as well on this no not home. really
2: but I mean I suppose we should talk about uh Mi leave it a little bit mm-hmm. um
1: make in the shape make a chew in the shape Mika chew yeah
2: so I'd never really heard much of her stuff before. She worked. She's a sort of London, UK-based indie, quite
1: twee actually to begin with. Yeah, she was a DJ as well at one point. She's only twenty-seven year old, by the way, when she did this. Yeah, no, it's it was
2: really annoying. Crazy, yeah. You know, fucking Steven Spielberg was only twenty-seven when he directed
1: Jaws. <laughs> Fuck the world. <laughs> fucking Steven Spielberg. And we are man. wasting our lives oh, in my front room. Yeah. <laughs> no. But um, also, she'd she she. Was very interested in classical music, but also like neo-classical music and did a bunch of art installations, which is what originally brought her to the attention of the people that put her on to, or put Jonathan Glazer onto her. Yeah, that's, and that's she
0: started, cool. she sense. was
2: doing a lot of like sort of jazz collaborations and mm-hmm. stuff with MCs like Ghost Poet and Baker Trouble and stuff like that. So she was always into really interesting, diverse stuff. Yeah. But this was her first ever work on a film and hell, she just right? went for it. Yeah.
1: She really went for it.
2: And it was interesting, she said that she didn't really listen to any other soundtracks because she didn't want to be shaped by that. Instead, she was listening to stuff like John Cage and.
1: Well, that, yeah, she did cite influences generally from soundtracks and one that gets brought up a lot is a guy called Giorgi mm, Yeah. I don't know if that pronunciation's correct but I gave it a shot who'd done a lot of Stanley Kubrick stuff 2001, he did The Shining famously did The Shining which is a good reference point for a lot of stuff in this And he also also did Eyes Wide Shut. And that name gets brought up a lot in discussions about the soundtrack, I think.
2: Yeah. Do you know, Eyes Wide Shut is not a good film to me, but the soundtrack is creepy as fuck. Yeah. yeah. There's like that little piano thing and that's stuck with me forever. Um, and there's also just, it goes back to the one motif
1: that kind of underlies yeah. this record. Motifs are a huge feature yeah. of that kind of score. Anyway, mm-hmm. variations yeah. on a on a theme, yeah.
2: But also the, the production is them um, by... Peter Rayburn. Yeah, Peter Rayburn, sorry. And the production is
1: really clear and gets a huge, you know... Conveys
2: a yeah. very intense
1: atmosphere and <laughs> message. Well, the,
2: the, so much of the film and so much of the soundtrack is atmosphere mm-hmm. and that's what's really important with production much like the cinematography is to the visuals of the film the production yeah
1: really you're, you're you're helping realize that the, the ideas um there's also an analogy that gets mentioned a lot is a beehive analogy they asked they asked Mika uh, Levy about that in yeah. interviews as well just this sense sonically of being in a beehive yeah this constant buzzing there hum. are
2: low drones there are high drones
1: Everything. Yeah, there was um, there was some really good reviews of this. Actually, some really good writing on it. A guy called Michael Rothman, who writes for Consequence of Sound, had a couple of phrases that jumped out from his treatment of it: were uh, glassy sexuality uh, and an echoing vacuum. Uh, that sense of space of of zero amplified. It's a really tough concept, but the hollowness of the music uh, is is quite apparent. Yeah, it feels like sitting in a void.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's if you see the film, you're like there is void, and void is a very important part of it.
1: Yeah, Um, Um, another one with Jason Green from Pitchfork had a couple of great turns of phrase. One was a a hovering dust cloud of strings, which I think is really apt for mm -hmm. certain parts. And a, a locust plague of dry tremolos, and and when you hear it, those are some those those are really well observed. I think there's a really insect-like, uh, yeah, disconcerting buzzing nastiness to the sound to the soundtrack. It, although it does have moments of sweetness. Uh, there's a, a track called "Bedroom" and a track called "Love." Which I think were compared to a guy called An- Angelo Badalamenti, who used to do stuff for David Lynch, and they're kind of warmer and a bit more
2: romantic. Yeah, love sounds kind of like it's got that sort of 90s trance. Chord progression, mm. but then sort of fucked up. But it is a little bit syrupy. But obviously, you know, it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, it works well. It's, it needs that. It needs that refresher in this because like you couldn't have this soundtrack all the way through yeah. with that metronomic sort of. F- Some somebody had described it in a review as being like somebody with a dead leg, stamping with one leg and dragging the other behind them. Yeah. and it was like a horribly appropriate mm-hmm. image as well it, it's it's i mean it's all about oppressiveness it's all about claustrophobia it's all about mm-hmm. that that really nasty sinister static buzzing
0: I don't know. It's, it's it's a foreb- it's really foreboding. You know? It is,
1: and it's it's a brilliantly realised interpretation of the of the visuals. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you jump to this one, Dave? Because it was a pretty big departure from originally intending to do Spawn to doing something as like far out as this. I,
2: I think I then just went to film scores that I love and what lo- you know really appreciate that I could talk about, and then was like, oh, which ones? Which ones of these didn't make money? And you know, this one didn't make money, but like, I fucking loved the film when I saw it and the soundtrack made such an impression on me when I watched it. Somehow it's, you know, this unsettling sort of ambient work that is yet catchy. You know, it it's clings, it's I cl- I don't know, it stays no, right. with you.
1: The motifs are simple enough that they do stay with you. Like, as soon as I put it on, I remembered the experience of hearing them in, in the cinema. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was a very, yeah. very vivid. And that that's for something that's really not tuneful necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's a good, it's a hell of an accomplishment to make yeah. it stick like that. Maybe instead, instead of catchy, I would say it lingers. Yeah. And, and a name that came up in relation to this, another person, another British composer who's got a knack for the really unsettling uh, is Clint Mansell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he's a lot more orchestral, uh, maybe more structured than than this but equally with you know Requiem for a Dream and things like that has has a flair for stuff that's really quite upsetting and uneasy. He was actually, if I hadn't done Judgment Night, I was going to do The Fountain by Clint Mansell, which is again a very divisive movie I fucking love, very, very ambitious, Darren Aronofsky at his most uh, avant-garde, but the soundtrack's wonderful and it's Clint Mansell collaborating with Mogwai. another one I would have brought to the table and for the same reasons that David says it's one I've got that I'm disappointed that the film performed so badly because I think it is actually quite beautiful Um, but the music certainly is but I think this is actually a great choice man I think it's really fucking far out though
2: yeah I mean it's not it's not an album of pop bangers like Prince it's not an album of rap and rock bangers as a standalone record it would work really well as a weird fucking ambient album And then as a soundtrack, the film is, you know, is just as fucking weird and ambient. With a different soundtrack, I don't think the film would have been as powerful. And that is kind of something that neither of the other two films could say.
1: It's great because what this is going to do is perfectly divide up our audience into its three core contingents, which is... Hipsters for yeah. this woman for Prince <laughs> and dumb white guys being nostalgic yeah, for exactly. everything else. I mean that is
2: all we are really, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, so did you guys do a nexus? Because I did a I did a, an almost live draw of the name for this uh, this week's nexus. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. So
2: w- once again, it's there's no Dave Grohl. We choose a different person Who? each week.
1: Don't um, even know you're talking about. And so he's cancelled
2: this. Week We chose from a hat From recommendations a Given hat. to us by You The listeners Listeners
1: and
0: supporters And uh, this one was by VJ Yep And it is Brian Harvey So what we have to do now Is Lose like 17,
1: Lose 17. Lose Lose Brian 17. Harvey from East 17. 17 Baked potato
0: And what we have to do now Is link uh, Our film Or our music Or whatever To Brian Harvey This is
2: the first time We're seeing Nexus tonight Will it be the last what do they have in store this is, for this us? is not good. To- so let's go for it uh reverse order okay yeah you want me to go so under the skin it was filmed and directed in scotland and received some funding from creative scotland where you used to work Uh, where i used to work (laughs) i actually worked next to the guy that ticked the box for it who's my my desk fellow uh he, i believe he's related to you chris
1: <laughs> it's a very small country right um, <laughs> but
2: um i went to see this about a month after i started work there and went to see it and then i had you know a little creative scotland logo at the bottom and i was like oh just, that, there's my work did you just guys? stand up ah, that was me yeah I'd, i had everything <laughs> to do with this uh, another film that creative scotland funded uh recently was uh train spotting 2 mm-hmm. had some money in that uh, Transporting Two, obviously directed by Danny Boyle.
1: The box may well have been ticked by the same
2: yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Boyle, I do believe we have mentioned this with our interview with Ben Power, but he was the uh, mus- He directed the opening of the UK Olympic Games in 2012. He did indeed, uh, which featured the, um, some music by Fuck Buttons and Black Mass. It also featured uh, Fatboy Slim <laughs> doing a big fucking remix. Uh, of of Rockefeller Skank, I think it was uh, at one point. Uh, Fatboy Slim, the Brighton DJ, used to be in the House Martins and also then in the 90s was part of 90s power couple with uh, Zoe Ball. Yeah. Uh, They're now sadly divorced. Uh, Zoe Ball- Had a massive crush on Zoe Ball. Oh, she was a total babe. Zoe Ball uh, was a presenter on Live and Kicking Mm -hmm. in the mid-90s which had replaced going live? So alongside Andy Gray, no, no it was Andy. Jamie.
1: Andy Peters,
0: Andy Crane, Andy Peters, no, Andy
2: Peters did. Uh, Andy Peters, Sorry. too many Andys. Yeah, Philip Schofield and Emma something did going live. Jamie Theekston and Zoe Ball did live and kicking. Oh yeah, uh, live and kicking at one point. <laughs> this is did so a, niche. <laughs> did a like a contest? I don't. That didn't even have a name. But it was like a band contest, and a boy band called Glitterbug went up against Scooch to have oh, their single released. Yeah. Theory going theory now. Is going, theory uh, is going now. Scooch uh, then went on to appear in Pop Stars, the first reality music TV show on ITV, uh, toured with Bewitched and Five, and Plus. then they, in 2007. F- mm. 2004 four. Four, I think. I can't remember when it was. That's seven. 2007 it's 2007 (laughs) Mark's too on this Went up into the Eurovision Song Contest competition Eurovision Making Your Mind Up uh, Where they actually won that Uh, That was
1: like the British heats to see who we put forward to the tragic Eurovision Song Contest Yeah. Yeah exactly Who did they beat in that David? Who did they beat?
2: Eliminated in the first round of voting was a certain Mr. Brian Harvey
1: so there you go. So grim that he was doing that.
0: Yeah. You know. This was after his uh, potato car
1: accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we'll talk fuck about. man. I, you know, see the more I read about him and he's at suicide attempts. You know, I know, he was hospitalized like six weeks ago because he did a live stream on Facebook where he talked about harming himself. Oh, fucking I know. Am. And VJ had already put this in the thing and I was like, oh fuck,
0: I can't oh, well. it bad about this. Oh no. Didn't not he not stop good. me saying baked potato and I did it? <laughs> Clearly I can't feel that bad about <laughs> it. <laughs> You're a terrible person. <laughs> You're bad and you should feel bad. Uh, okay, Under the Cherry Moon starred Kristen Scott Thomas in her first role. Kristen Scott Thomas was also in Mission Possible. The first one? The first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah she was good in it. Mm-hmm. She got stabbed
2: through a fence yeah, she by did. Jean Reno, I think. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate that film. That's a good film. I went to see it for my seventh birthday. It is one of Brian De Palma's best films, I think. I really like that film. Didn't John Woo do one of them as well? The he did Mission Possible too, and mm-hmm. it's by far the worst.
0: Yeah, but but the have- first one was like
2: a good european
1: interest in
0: s- spy fil- thriller the latest couple have been quite good like throwaway popcorn films as well i think yeah. ghost protocol was pretty decent anyway let's move on no, right? yeah on. <laughs> hey, well it's keeping in uh keeping on mission impossible the lead <laughs> oh, actor in that film is mr tom cruise yeah uh, mr tom cruise was in a film called the firm with gene hackman which is actually a pretty good film yeah a good film actually
2: yeah
0: and gene hackman was also in the fresh connection in 1970 i watched that last week it's also a very good film yeah great In the French Connection was a well-known actress called Sheila Ferguson who was in the soul group The Three Degrees. That's her only film role.
2: She plays in The Three Degrees. The Three Degrees play in the nightclub scene. Oh, okay, there you go. So
0: it's like the band are playing in that. Well, that's her only film role and she was also on Season four of I'm a Celebrity, get me out you're with, you with Mr. Her. Brian Harvey. Fuck off,
2: <laughs> Jesus,
0: that's too close. You shouldn't get from the three
1: degrees to Brian Harvey in one step. That's mental. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Uh, okay, uh, final nexus, uh, Judgment Night co-star Dennis Leary, as I said, that kind of mm-hmm. early 90s Bill Hicks ripoff, the cure for cancer and things like that. And I I mean, I have yet to see this. There is a film called The Second Civil War, which is a kind of political satire made for HBO and by HBO, starring Dennis Leary uh, as a a CNN journalist, uh, alongside Mr. Ron Perlman, uh, who's also Hellboy. Uh, Ron Perlman, uh, in one of his finest roles and one of his finest films, uh, appeared in City of Lost Children, uh, a film by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. And most things that Jean-Pierre Jeunet does are good The wardrobe for that film was by a very famous fashion designer called Jean-Paul Gaultier, Jean-Paul Gaultier also did the wardrobe for Fifth Element, Bad Education, as well as things like uh, a couple of videos by Madonna, Depeche Mode video. And Jean-Paul Gaultier used to co-host a show called Eurotrash. Yes, he did. Which every adolescent <laughs> young British every aw, yeah. young British
2: boy has
1: <laughs> discovered their willy to. <laughs> 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 Waiting to see if their parents were definitely not listening. Um, yeah, Eurotrash, uh, he hosted that alongside Antoine de Cannes. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the penguin guy in Eurotrash? you to still always been at the old penguin boy. No. He's probably long dead now. Probably. But it was pretty tragic. Yeah. I thought he was a
2: penguin. A lot of people in that program yeah. died tragic deaths. Yeah. Um. Carry on.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> okay. Antoine DeCann, uh, before that, uh, hosted a show called Rapido. Do you remember Rapido, David? Do you tell? No, I, I've i seen it since. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those kind of flashback ones for all the white guys that like rap metal and are in gauging in nostalgia right now that was on BBC 2 it was commissioned for BBC 2 by Janet Streetporter mm-hmm. a very posh journalist media former type. editor
2: of The Independent I yep. think
1: uh, have you just went down the same route I've went down also a host of Loose Women and Janet Streetporter you have haven't you made Quite good friends with Brian Harvey on that same series of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here in 2004. After they initially got off to a pretty bad start arguing, uh, Brian Harvey was apparently outraged because he thought there would be people hiding in the bushes, bringing them pizza and stuff Mm. after they'd done scenes eating anuses and things like that. uh, They were like, no, no, that's that's actually all you're getting to eat. And he was outraged. And then his grandmother died, so he he quickly bailed out of the season and didn't finish it. Yep. I was actually going to do a much
2: quicker one, uh, which um, was that under the skin, one of the filming locations was uh, Buchanan Street in Glasgow, and on Buchanan Street, there used to be a... Virgin Megastore? No, there used to be a baked potato shop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course... Uh, Brian Harvey famously ran himself over after eating too many baked potatoes.
1: We still, there's still disagreements. I say he was trying to reach under his car to get a baked potato. No, 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 no it's no, not. It's he, not. Said,
0: he, he said mm-hmm. that he'd eaten too many baked potatoes and felt sluggish. And he said <laughs> he opened the car door to be sick. Totally <laughs> don't, don't and, laugh. And he fell out the car and crushed himself and smashed it in like four or five o'clock. That cars was like well. two weeks uh, after he tried to commit suicide, anyway.
2: But you know, there you go. Brian Harvey, eh? A figure of fun for all. Yeah, I don't know if he's long for this world. I know. But I mean a talented guy, you know, in terms of E seventeen sort of do you know why pushed he got, boundaries as a boy band. Do you know why he got fired from E seventeen? Because he said he
1: fucking loved Eckies. He said ecstasy <laughs> made you a be- he said taking ecstasy made you a better person. Yeah. It's not that controversial by today's standards. Yeah. And yeah, in, no. in an era of Twitter, would you get fired for that?
2: Well, <laughs> I mean, the shaman got away with the song you know a good, a good, ease a good um yeah. but brian harvey then rejoined e17 and they called it e17 <laughs> <laughs> so you know
1: <laughs> didn't take that long that was fun though i'm yeah. glad we did that um, yeah i'm kind of looking forward to doing another one not next week but <laughs> yeah i have no sometime. idea
2: what uh, people will choose because yeah. a lot of people might <laughs> judgment night might click judgment night because they're into weird stuff well, more, we they might choose like,
1: <laughs> yeah but <laughs> last week they don't even listen to the episodes <laughs> <well>. <laughs> that's exactly <yeah. laughs>
2: I've Wears Parade is by far the best pop record but I think Under the Skin by far the best
1: film soundtrack yeah and also by far the best film yeah yeah uh, yeah but and you know what at least I didn't do Super Mario Brothers I'm thank Oh, I'm very thankful <laughs> I'm for always that. Always going to do it.
0: But really, it was only an excuse for me to talk about Roxette. Yeah, fair enough. I was going to do The Last Action Hero, which I'm pretty sure got Roxette on it as well. Good film, underrated film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was a good one. Right.
2: Well, that was we good. We should do a film, film podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That would actually Called be quite good. Unwatched. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give away our secrets, man. That's not like, like a Patreon bonus. Fucking let we sell that shit up. Oh, right. the the, the Never mind. The, the thing the world needs exactly is another three white men sitting around talking about films. I
2: would say so. I,
1: I believe that platform is unfilled. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so next week we're going to do a record uh, back and to yours, normal Christopher. Yeah, Absolutely I have been choking to do this one And I didn't really know when to pull the trigger But we've been reasonably diverse recently So fuck it we'll go for it uh, We are going to do the album Carboniferous By the art rock jazz metal Fuck knows what band uh, From Italy Zoo, spelled ZU And it is a monster of a record And there's a lot to get through Because they've got a really weird and varied back catalogue uh, but that is next on the menu, and I'm pretty psyched. Uh, a week of listening to that mad shit.
2: Great, excellent. Cool.
1: Scramble your brains.
2: Thanks a lot, guys. Have a welcome. nice time.
1: I'll go and vote. Thanks. David needs to get back out into the rain in his shorts. Oh, can't wait. Cheerio Peace.